Welcome to Lit Poetry, the podcast where we go on a journey of discovery, reading, analyzing, and discussing great poetry from around the world. Poetry is worth it because the reading and writing of poetry is a revolutionary act that has the potential to transform both the reader and our world. Welcome to the Lit Poetry Podcast and to today's poem, Medusa, by Carol Ann Duffy. We'll begin by listening to the poem before returning to start our discussion with some biographical information about the poet herself. I hope you enjoy this poem. A suspicion. Doubt, a jealousy grew in my mind, which turned the hairs on my head to furthy snakes, as though my thoughts hissed and spat on my scalp. My bride's breath soured, stank in the grey bags of my lungs. I am foul-mouthed now, foul-tongued, yellow-fanged. There are bullet tears in my eyes. Are you terrified? Be terrified. It's you I love. Perfect man. Greek god. My own. But I know you'll go. Betray me. Stray from home. So better by far for me if you were stone. I glanced at a buzzing bee. A dull grey pebble fell to the ground. I glanced at a singing bird, a handful of dusty gravel spattered down. I looked at a ginger cat, a housebreak shuttered, a bowl of milk. I looked at a snuffling pig, a boulder rolled in a heap of shit. I stared in the mirror. Love gone bad showed me a gorgon. I stared at a dragon, fire spewed from the mouth of a mountain. And here you come, with a shield for a heart, and a sword for a tongue, and your girls. Your girls. Wasn't I beautiful? Wasn't I fragrant and young? Look at me now. So let's start our discussion with a few words about Carol Ann Duffy and the historical context. Medusa was published in Duffy's fifth poetry collection, The World's Wife, published in 1999. In this collection, Duffy writes from the viewpoints of wives, sisters, and female contemporaries of famous and infamous men. Some of her characters in her poems include Mrs. Pilot, Queen Kong, Mrs. Sisyphus, Frau Freud, Elvis's twin sister, and Pygmalion's bride. In witty conversational language, the world's wife undermines the traditional male perspective and shining a light instead on the ways that women have been denied the full breadth of their humanity. 
Duffy's artistic trajectory was significantly shaped herself by Sylvia Plath, whose complete literary work she was gifted with on her 25th birthday. This moment marked the beginning of a profound connection, as Duffy later undertook the task of editing a collection of Plath's poems. Additionally, she penned an article for The Guardian in which she highlighted Plath's groundbreaking exploration of women's inner experiences and acknowledging how Plath's experiences served as a guiding light for Duffy's own poetic journey. Certainly, this particular poem draws inspiration from the timeless Greek myth of Medusa, a narrative that has undergone numerous adaptations and interpretations over the ages. In earlier portrayals, Medusa was described as a stunning woman with long, captivating hair, attracting the amorous desires of men. Alternatively, she was depicted as a grotesque monster, possessing serpentine locks and eyes capable of petrifying any man that looked at her. Various renditions have depicted her as both mortal and immortal, as both victim and villain. In some versions, Medusa succumbed to the seduction of the god Poseidon within the sacred confines of Athena's temple, while in others she was violently seized against her will. Regardless, Medusa faced punishment for violating the sanctity of the temple, transforming her into a monstrous figure evoking fear in men. Arguably, the most widely known aspect of her tale is her ultimate defeat achieved when the renowned Greek hero Perseus cunningly employs a mirror to approach her unnoticed, ultimately beheading her and securing his own place in history. It wasn't until the 20th century and the rise of feminist theory that Medusa became subject to a more critical lens. Since then, she has become a common symbol of female rage and power, and it is through this lens that Duffy wrote this poem. Duffy herself was born in Scotland in 1955 and came of age during the second wave feminist movement. While the initial wave of feminism primarily aimed at obtaining women's suffrage, the second wave of feminism encompassed a broader spectrum of concerns. It tackled various issues such as reproductive rights, domestic violence, workplace parity and others. Second wave feminism emerged as a response to the prevailing restrictive gender norms prevailing during the mid-20th century. It challenged the notion that a woman's sole purpose in life was to conform to the role of a submissive mother and wife, striving for greater equality and agency in all aspects of women's lives. During the 1990s, when this poem was composed, the rise of third wave feminism marked a more proactive effort to challenge patriarchal norms in their entirety. It also aimed to dismantle the prevailing notion that the straight, white, male perspective should serve as the universal standard for human experiences. The poem Medusa embodies this objective while providing a multifaceted portrayal of a character traditionally relegated to a monstrous archetype. It seeks to foster understanding and compassion for Medusa, a figure who has typically been stripped of her complexity. While exploring the destructive consequences of jealousy, the poem implicitly critiques the broader social tendency to dismiss and label angry women as irrational gorgons. It visually manifests the pent-up rage felt by women who have experienced mistreatment, betrayal, and the implicit suggestion of being discarded for a younger alternative. 
Welcome back. The themes of jealousy and rage figure predominantly in the poem. Utilising the myth of Medusa, a formidable woman with serpentine hair from Greek mythology, capable of petrifying those who met her gaze, the poem effectively portrays the profound consequences of jealousy and rage. It reinterprets Medusa as a contemporary wife who harbours suspicions of her husband's infidelity, tracing her evolution from a youthful and beautiful bride into a terrifying and murderous creature. This transformed self, evoking both sympathy and fear, serves as a poignant representation of the destructive power inherent in anger, resentment and mistrust. Whether the wife's jealousy is justified or not is not clear, but what is evident is the complete unravelling she experiences due to her suspicions. These suspicions have caused her hair to transform into filthy snakes, and she has become a repulsive figure with a foul mouth and yellow fangs. Her transformation is not merely a change, but a horrifying and violent metamorphosis. The speaker does not take pride in this transformation, as her disgusted descriptions of her own body suggest that she is beginning to repulse herself. As a result, it becomes ambiguous whether the reader should feel pity or disdain for the speaker. She becomes both relatable in her heartache and a frightening example of unchecked rage. On the one hand, the speaker is clearly suffering. On the other, her grief is dangerous. Her tears are like bullets and her question to her husband, are you terrified, seems half pleading, half rhetorical. Does she want to be assured she is not terrifying? That she is still human and lovable? It seems so. Yet then she turns around and says, be terrified. It's you I love. As much as the speaker hates what she becomes, it seems she hates the person who hurt her even more and would rather he were stoned than leave her. While the speaker of the poem progressively transforms various innocent creatures into stone, such as a bee, a bird, a cat, and a pig, it becomes evident that her anger extends beyond her unfaithful husband. She appears incapable of controlling or restraining her anger, turning her jealousy into a potent and destructive force. Even if someone wished to console or offer her solace, it would prove impossible. Under the intensity of her furious glare, anyone who attempted to comfort her would inevitably meet the same fate, being transformed into stone. By the end of the poem, it becomes clear that the speaker's fear of being betrayed by her husband has disfigured her. She is no longer recognisable as the person she once was. The speaker looks in the mirror and sees a gorgon. Her fury makes her ugly, powerful, dangerous. The poem then ends with another question that might be interpreted as either pleading or rhetorical. Wasn't I beautiful? Wasn't I fragrant and young? The speaker, again, almost seems to want reassurance, to be made to feel human again. Yet these questions are followed by the chilling statement, Look at me now. It's too late. The damage is done, in other words. The speaker has become unrecognisable to herself. The second way I want to look at this poem is through a feminist lens. I think this is a very fruitful exercise. 
By presenting the narrative from Medusa's point of view, this poem subtly conveys a sense of empathy towards a character whose mere presence embodies misogynistic stereotypes concerning women, jealousy and anger. The speaker is depicted as a monstrous figure, yet her husband indeed portrayed her, as implied in the poem. He essentially played a significant role in her transformation. Consequently, the poem highlights the manner in which men exploit and discard women, ultimately leading to their devastation. It also emphasises the unjust reality where women frequently bear the consequences of men's wrongdoing, paying a steep price for their actions. Much of the poem can be read as playing into old stereotypes about women who have been spurned in love. Early in the poem, for example, the speaker describes her transformation, saying, My bride's breath soured, stank, in the grey bags of my lungs. The intensity and suddenness of this transformation from bride to monster can be read as a subtle criticism of the binaries forced onto women by men. The poem suggests that women are allowed to be either a bride or a monster, a virgin or a whore, good or bad, but nothing more complex than that. While the majority of the poem focuses on depicting the speaker as a repulsive figure, the conclusion suggests that she should not be held solely responsible for her monstrous transformation. After gazing at her own hideous reflection in the mirror, the speaker shifts her attention towards her husband, portraying him as having a shield-like heart, a sword-like tongue, and being surrounded by a group of girls. This illuminates the husband's transgressions, his refusal to display vulnerability or take accountability for the pain he has inflicted upon his wife, his cruelty in his words and his infidelity. The speaker then reminds her husband that she too was once beautiful, fragrant and young. In essence, she implies that he will treat the next woman in the same manner he treated her, using and discarding her, leaving her to endure the consequences of his actions. Another interesting thing to consider when thinking about the feminist perspective on this poem is Duffy's own background. It's worth thinking about Duffy's own relationship with the poet Adrian Henry. She and Henry began a relationship when Henry was 39 and Duffy was 16. They lived together for 10 years, with Henry being not only Duffy's romantic partner, but also her mentor. Henry was persistently unfaithful. And it is perhaps likely that this formative relationship might have elements that push to the heart of some of the core themes in this particular poem. So that's it for this week's episode. Time to say goodbye. I hope you enjoyed this week's poem by Carol Ann Duffy. Next week we'll be featuring the poem Dover Beach by Matthew Arnold. To support our work, please subscribe to the podcast or to our YouTube channel. You can also visit our website at www.litpoetry.com. A music video for this week's poem is now live on YouTube. We'll finish by listening one final time to the poem. Thanks for tuning in and I'll see you next week. A suspicion, a 
doubt, a jealousy grew in my mind, which turned the hairs on my head to filthy snakes, as though my thoughts hissed and spat on my scalp. My bride's breath soured, stank in the grey bags of my lungs. I am foul-mouthed now, foul-tongued, yellow-fanged. There are bullet tears in my eyes. Are you terrified? Be terrified. It's you I love. Perfect man. Greek god. My own. But I know you'll go. Betray me. Stray from home. So better by far for me if you were stone. I glanced at a buzzing bee. A dull grey pebble fell to the ground. I glanced at a singing bird. A handful of dusty gravel spattered down. I looked at a ginger cat. A housebreak shuttered a bowl of milk. I looked at a snuffling pig. A boulder rolled in a heap of shit. I stared in the mirror. Love gone bad showed me a gorgon. I stared at a dragon, fire spewed from the mouth of a mountain. And here you come, with a shield for a heart, and a sword for a tongue, and your girls. Your girls. Wasn't I beautiful? Wasn't I fragrant and young? Look at me now. You've been listening to the Lit Poetry Podcast, presented by James Laidler. For more podcasts, poetry videos, and other useful resources, visit our website at www.litpoetry.com. Thanks for listening.